Thank you, Fiona. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Josh. I'm uh, part of the ministry team here. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, hopefully, along with your Bible, you've got one of these um, outlines, got prayer points on the back, an outline on the front. Um, uh, something happens when you um, do the outline before you've actually finished writing. Um, so just a couple of corrections. There's a couple of extra headings at the top. The first one, if you want to write it, is going to be called The Specimen. Yep, and the second one is going to be called Fears of Death, okay? But don't, don't be overwhelmed. I'm going to race through the ones that are on the sheet, okay? But if you've got it, the specimen and, and fears of death are coming up first. Um, if that was a fairly anticlimactic way to start a sermon, let me start with what might be a strange way. I want you to imagine for a moment that we had alien visitors here come to Earth, and they came to you and they wanted you to lead them to the best example of humankind that you could find to show them what it's all about. Who would you choose? Who's racing through your head? Here's a suggestion. This is when I was thinking about this question. What about someone like Bear Grylls? Okay, Bear Grylls, SAS soldier in the past, turned adventurer, turned TV superstar, now, I don't care too much about the TV part, but that's how I know about him. What I admire about Bear Grylls is that uh, he is trained in both body and mind for a purpose, right? He is using what he's been given to a, a huge degree. I think that's what the aliens would like to see. Now, he's someone who's in control, who's powerful, is at the peak of their game, someone who's able to utilise, I guess, their bodies and utilise the world around them, um, to our purpose. He's not just physically fit like, I mean, you've got Olympic athletes coming up in Tokyo, hopefully, soon. They're physically fit at peak of fitness and so on. And, I mean, not to, to downplay the significance of winning a medal, but, I mean, Bear Grylls is actually doing something in the world. I don't know much about the SAS. I don't know what his missions were. I don't know how to judge if military operations are good or bad. But from the outside, at least, he's doing something significant with, with, with what he's got. And... Now, we're getting into a bit of fantasy now. I like to assume that Bear Grylls has a, a good and deep relationship with his wife and his family and friends and so on. He seems like a nice guy. He's also the face of, um, of the Alpha course, the Christianity course in the UK. So I've actually got no idea about this, but I do like to assume that he has a wonderful, thriving relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ as well. I don't know who you would choose as your specimen of humanity to present to the aliens. And I don't know how much of a fantasy it would be, uh, but I'm guessing it'd be someone who's got ability and who uses that ability uh, to do something significant, someone who's loved and is um, able to love. Those things, whether or not they are actually encapsulated in Bear Grylls, I think those things, we sense are valuable and admirable things. And there's a, a biblical warrant for that as well. This is what Psalm 8 uh, talking, I guess, to God himself about humanity's position in the universe, says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Hey, that human beings are especially cared for by God out of everything else he's created. We're supposed to be powerful and significant, rulers over the works of God's hands, crowned with glory 
and honour. Have I all of a sudden become quieter? Okay. All right. I'll, I'll keep talking maybe more loudly. Anyway, uh, humanity under God looking after this world. That's what we're supposed to be. Uh, mastering, achieving, relating. I think that's why those things, we look at them and we see that they're desirable. And as great as my description of fantasy Bear grills might be, that's clearly not a description even of, of, of him, let alone other human beings. And our Hebrews passage today quotes Psalm 8 and then says this straight after, at present we do not see everything subject to them. Bear grills, the best specimen I can think of. Humanity as a whole is clearly not powerful enough uh, to have everything under our feet. We've shown that definitely in the past year by COVID and, and other things that have happened in our world. I don't know if Bear did anything of significance with the SAS, but he clearly wasn't able to usher in world peace. No one else has been able to do that either. His relationships, like all of ours, will be strained at times, damaged, repaired, broken, and ultimately uh, broken for good. Bear Grylls, he's 42 now, I think, and Wikipedia told me. He's not the specimen that he used to be. One day he'll be dust. Death will come to us all. Let's look down again at verse 9 with me. It says, At present we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate human. Outside of fantasy, he shows us what humanity is supposed to be. And he gives us a second chance at doing it by doing away with death itself. Now, if you'll just jump down with me to have a look at verses 14 and 15, because I want you to see the big picture before we get into the nitty gritty. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. That's the result of Jesus' humanity, of what he's done. Death defeated. Truly wonderful. Praise God for that. And we'll, we'll talk more about how that happens as we go. But look at what else this does. He frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's a more... I guess, accurate description of humanity as we see it at the moment, isn't it? The, uh, not so much with everything under our feet, but perhaps more slavery. I don't know if you um, fear your own death. I don't know if you consider it much. Um, perhaps you've had a near-death experience that's caused you to think about it or uh, something that's happened around you has caused you to, to consider it. But uh, here are some particular aspects, perhaps, to, to fear of death, um, three, I guess, opposites to what we might aspire to in humanity. The first kind of fear, um, the loss of uh, independence and, and mastery and control. I mean, no matter how independent you've been through life, as you, as you reach the end, no matter how powerful you've been, you're incredibly vulnerable. You lose control of um, your body, you can't do things that you used to be able to do easily. You lose control. Well, this, this second fear, uh, a fear of, I guess, incompleteness, of, of a lack of significance. Death means that regardless of whatever you've achieved, as you approach it, you realise, well, that's, that's it. Uh, you, you're not going to achieve any more. You're not going to experience anything else. Any significance is, is finished, gone. And then perhaps this third aspect, fear separation from loved ones, 
and the sadness that that brings. Those three aspects of, I guess, the fear of, of thinking about your own death, I mean, they might, might grip you as you contemplate death itself, those last moments. But actually, I think those, uh, those fears are chronic through all of life. Like a, uh, there's a sort of an hourglass subconsciously sort of um, emptying in the back of our minds. We kind of know that this is coming, that there are limitations on life. It takes away what's good, and so we hold on to it. That first fear, the, the vulnerability, that feeling, I guess, dependent and out of control, that can make us grasp at power and control all the more frantically. And it comes out in us differently. Uh, perhaps it's micromanaging your calendar down to the, the nth degree or micromanaging people in your life or your health. Or maybe the fear drives you the other way into actually failing to take responsibility for things that you really should. Or, or what about the second fear, fears around lack of significance? I wonder how that one might grip you. Maybe it's, it's working too hard. Or perhaps it's actually a kind of paralysis that results in, I guess, serial procrastination. Or the, the third one, fears with relationships. Perhaps that might come out as uh, an idolization of certain people um, in your life. Or perhaps the opposite, uh, an unwillingness to open up for worry about possible hurt or loss. Th these are the things we were designed for and things that we fear to lose. And the reason I want to bring these fears up is because I think these fears grip us all at various times and when we're confronted by them, well, we have to work out what to do with them. Some people might push them back down, bury their head in the sand as if death isn't really a reality. Now, that really is a, a fantasy land. But if we, if we kind of acknowledge this kind of fear at all, we have uh, a couple of options. I guess we can try to cope with them ourselves through our own strength or a particular philosophy or approach to life or religion, or we can believe the word God says about himself um, that Jesus frees us from slavery to these fears, frees us to actually human as we are supposed to. And this book of Hebrews, um, it was written so readers wouldn't drift away from that truth that they'd heard about God, the truth that trusting Jesus is the key to having hope in death and the fears that come with it. For those first readers... Um, the temptation could have been to trust in themselves through uh, perhaps returning to a, a form of Judaism, the tangible rituals and the things that they thought they could control. For us, the temptation perhaps isn't so much that, but it's still trusting in ourselves, um, even if not in Judaism. And the writer's, I guess, anti-drift strategy, it's really simple. It's just to show Jesus, to, to hold him up, uh, hold him up high um, so you can see... Um, just how great he is, the one to trust in. And so that's, that's what we're going to do as we, as we go through the rest of these, these points today. Look at Jesus, at what he's done. Um, so that'll be the first kind of four headings you've got on the page. Don't worry, I did say we're going to go through these. The first two headings took a lot of time. But the first, the first four headings as printed, that's what Jesus and what he's done. And then we'll come back um, to the last heading, um, what it means for our fears um, in, the, in the last one. Um, so first... Um, who, who do you see? Uh, the writer of Hebrews, right, 
He quotes Psalm 8, as I mentioned. He applies it originally to humanity as a whole, or Psalm 8 applies originally to humanity as a whole, but the writer of Hebrews applies it directly to Jesus. Look how he does it in in verse 9 there. He says, but we do see Jesus. He was made a little lower than angels. That's referring to Jesus' incarnation. The Word, the Son, the eternal God becoming human. He's now crowned with glory and honour. He's crowned with glory and honour because of his death. And what's his glory and honour? Well, he's been raised from the dead. Um, He's ascended to God's right hand as a human being. That's where he is now, as we'll see more uh, in Hebrews as we go further on. And the implication is that one day everything will be under his feet as the resurrected human Lord of all as he returns. See, Jesus lives out this psalm. He lives out the design that God had planned for humanity. He's the ultimate human, if you like. And he's not only the ultimate human, he's the first human, in the sense that he sets a pattern to be followed. Um, Have a look, verse 10 there talks about uh, him being the pioneer of our salvation. That is, he's the one to show how it's done. Now, I um, went uh, for the first time, I think, bouldering recently. I don't know if anyone else boulders here. When I say anyone else, I don't actually boulder. I just went one time. Bouldering is basically rock climbing um, on a, without a harness. And when you think about it, it sounds pretty silly, doesn't it? Because um, you're climbing up a wall. It's not very high. Um, and you fall back onto a mat if you... Anyway, which happened to me a lot. Anyway, it was my first time. I wasn't very good. Um, and... That's probably understandable. But what made it a lot easier for me is my mate, who's a lot better, going up before and showing which foot you put in which spot and how you twist in in order to get up. And not having even strengthened myself at all, just having seen him do it, I was able to get up the yellow wall, the lowest wall, on my own. Um, He was kind of the pioneer. That was very valuable to see him do that. Jesus is the pioneer to salvation. He's the only human who lives forever at this point in time, never to die, resurrected. If that's who he is, then he's the one we should look to. So we have to look at him closely. But what he does is he shows us a way that's really counterintuitive. His, his way to life is through death, going through suffering to glory. He was crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. See, we have to peer really closely at Jesus or we'll miss this. Because the ultimate human, well, he looks a bit different to what we might imagine. His way is actually not being in control uh, in the way we would expect, but seemingly out of control. Uh, His way is not achieving worldly success as we would think of it, significance as we would think of it uh, normally. His way is um, uh, loving us truly and deeply through being separated completely from his father, for the benefit of others. See, all the worst fears of death, they're realised as Jesus died. But look at what it says there in verse uh, verse 10, says about uh, what happened to Jesus, that it was fitting that God should make Jesus perfect through what he suffered. Fitting. It means that what happened, that adhered exactly to God's plan. It's not just that this kind of happened and, and things went well and that was great. No, this was the plan the whole time. Jesus, there at the creation of the world, made perfect through suffering. How does that work? Perfect. Wasn't Jesus perfect already? Perfect doesn't here refer to his his moral quality. 
It means that things have been completed, that his purpose has been fulfilled. Think about that for a second. Because of what happened, that seemingly horrific event, Jesus suffering and death, he is now more glorious than he was beforehand. He is now more worthy of praise than before that happened. Does that mean him dying is, a, I guess, a, a good thing? Well, of course not. It was an evil action. But somehow, in God's amazing ordering of things, suffering and death, originally a curse, have been turned for good. You may have heard the, the verse in, in Romans 8, in all things, God works for the good for those who love him. Sometimes that's not what you want to hear straight away when you're going through a hard time, but it really is true, like it was true for Jesus. The difficult things, the hard things, the challenging things for us, they're actually opportunities to trust in God, opportunities that don't exist in the good times. It is fitting that we suffer because God is completing us. In fact, there are hints all through the Bible of how God's plan for perfection is perhaps a little stranger than what we often think. I wonder if you've ever ever noticed in the Bible that the first man and woman are put in a garden. Uh, They're told to look after it. The picture of the, the new creation is a garden city. It's like a garden that's sort of been developed slightly. Uh, with a river running through it and trees, uh, trees and fruit. The first creation is perfect before Adam and Eve sinned. It's perfect. As it's good, as God says. But the new creation is in some way more complete. It's reached its end, more perfect. And in between those two things, Jesus and his cross. So we need to see Jesus. We need to look at him closely because this first human, the pioneer, he was made perfect through his suffering. That's what led him to be crowned with glory and honour. That's the surprising perfection that we find here. So how does that connect with us? How do you follow this surprising pioneer? In one sense, you can't. Of course, none of us can live a perfect life like Jesus. He might have shown us how it's done, but that doesn't help us do it. None of us can be resurrected on the basis of an indestructible life. It'd uh, be kind of like me being shown how to boulder, just go with me here, by a helicopter, right? A helicopter. And the helicopter goes, I'll show you how to get up the wall. And just sort of takes off. And I sort of of scramble up trying to follow the helicopter. And I go all right and then I kind of slip off a bit. I try to scramble a bit more. And the helicopter just flies on beyond the wall up into this. I'm never going to make it. As as far as I get up the wall, I'm not going to get there. We can't just follow an example we need to be connected to Jesus, bound to him. These are the, the, the bonds which free us. And not every person is bound to him. Verse 10 uh, says there in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Verse 11 talks about Jesus not being ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This is a subset of humanity. Those who are made holy in verse 11 are the ones who are bound to Jesus, those who trust in him. Because for those who are in Jesus' family, the truth is this. He doesn't just provide an example. Jesus, our brother, is the ultimate human on our behalf. And let me show you how the the writer to the Hebrews explains this. He does some pretty nifty Old Testament work here. Have a look in verse 12. And we've got a quote there from Psalm 22. And the Hebrews writer, um, he expects you to, to know the whole psalm and Luckily, we read parts of this psalm earlier, so we also know 
most of this psalm. Now, the first half of the psalm, if you remember, it had a real somber kind of vibe. It's a call for um, God's help in a time of suffering. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Anguished suffering, crying to God. The second half of the psalm, it switches. It's about praising God for the rescue he's done, for his um, salvation. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Now, this psalm was written by King David, um, and he no doubt felt abandoned by God to some degree at different times in his life. He probably wrote it about one of those particular times. Uh, And he was rescued by God as well to some degree. But David failed to be human as we were made to be, as he was made to be. He sinned. He died too. So it's not ultimately about him, this psalm. Now, Psalm 22, that may have have reminded you of something, because we talk about Psalm 22 quite a lot at church, because Psalm 22, of course, is the beginning of it, are the words that Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus was truly forsaken by God in his suffering, and yet rescued by him never to die again. He came through death, uh, raised to life again. And so then we get to the, the part of this psalm that the Hebrew writer actually quotes. And it's a, it's a bit of a strange part of the psalm, you think, um, on first reflection. It's not the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me part. But it actually marks the turning point between abandonment and victory. And it includes brothers and sisters. He says this, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. So Jesus fulfills this psalm and he brings us into it with him. He includes his brothers and sisters, the ones he represents. He's been forsaken, we've been rescued. He rejoices in our midst, we rejoice with him. The the writer does much the same thing in the next couple of verses with Isaiah 8. Have a look at that one at home, It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Read Isaiah 8 and see how he does the same thing. But our bond with Jesus as a human, as a brother, that's the thing that frees us from the power of death. He's the representative human. Being bound to Jesus, I guess, would be a bit like um, being uh, lashed to the underski bit of the helicopter, right? Just tied to it there. Wouldn't be very comfortable. But when that helicopter went up, you would be going up with it, just taken. And that's what being bound to Jesus is like. On your own, There's no hope, but bound to him, we're safe. There is no other way, no other philosophy or person, no Judaism, no ritual, no anything else. He, the ultimate human, is the only hope. So hopefully that that portrait of Jesus has um, shown you his true humanity, his amazing example, his counterintuitive perfection, the way we're bound to him. Hopefully that makes you want to trust him more and more. Because that's the only way to be freed from death when you die. And also, it's the only way to be freed now, in this life, today, from slavery to the fear of death. As we finish, let's just think about those aspects of the fear of death again. See, in response to the, the real fear that grips us of being out of control in our lives, of not being powerful enough, or rather than drift towards our own attempts to control things, See Jesus in that moment. The very act of becoming a Christian, it surrenders control to the Lordship of Christ, the one who's already been gloriously raised. 
we realise that our control of our destinies, it's an illusion all along. When our body, uh, bodily faculties start to give up, or even when we're just frustrated by our own mistakes, there is hope we're not in control, but he is. And that places our attempts to control in the right perspective because we were made to control some things. Psalm 8 is still true. We're made to exert loving control on behalf of God, to use our capacities to to walk, to think, to build things uh, for his glory. We are made to do that. We're freed to do it in Jesus. What about that second fear, this achievement, this idea of, I guess, a fear of incompleteness, of lack of significance? Well, rather than drifting towards doing more and more and trying harder and harder, trying to experience more and more things, see Jesus. Being bound to Jesus means we don't have to achieve uh, to, to reach a standard with God. Even as we reach the end of our lives and reflect perhaps with disappointment, I don't know, on what we may or may not have done. We know that this one thing is done for us. Death is defeated. God will say to Jesus' brothers and sisters, uh, well done. And in life, it frees us from trying to strive for um, things for our own glory. It frees us not to strive for things for a feather in our own cap, but for God's glory as we're made to. And in response to the, the fear of separation from those that we love, Rather than drifting towards maybe making an idol of them or lumping on them more than they're ever made to bear, see Jesus. His victory over death means relationships go on. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Our brothers and sisters are not lost. And of course, he gives us hope for the most important relationship. Through him, the perfect human, we are in relationship with God himself. So humanity is given an amazing place in God's creation. That's what we were made to be. Thank God for that. Jesus became human to show us how to human and to redeem humanity. And so what we need to stop us drifting into fear, drifting towards other useless philosophies or approaches is to keep seeing Jesus, keep looking at him to see him in his full humanity so we can be sure that what he did, he did for us, to see him in his suffering so we know that death has been dealt with, to see him in his glory so we know the ultimate hope that we're looking forward to. Let us see Jesus more and more. Let's pray. Our Father, thanks so much that Jesus became fully human, um, laying aside Uh, the glory and comfort of heaven. Thank you so much that uh, he not only shows us uh, what being human means, but he suffered for us and died for us to free us from death and the fear of death. Help us to see Jesus more and more clearly and so live as humans as you made us to. In his name we pray. Amen.